The work around urban farming, we talk about the discipline, we talk about the work ethic and that they could take what they grow, come back and make salads and cook and just see, wow, this opened their minds. And then they seeing themselves being entrepreneurs and being able to help feed a family and to understand and to appreciate, you know, where food comes from. Hello and welcome to Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. This is where leaders, growers, and stakeholders in the corn industry can turn for big picture conversations about the state of the industry and its future. I'm Dusty Weiss, and I'll be introducing your host, Association CEO John Doggett. You can join John every month as he travels the country on a mission to advocate for America's corn farmers. From the fields of the Corn Belt to the D.C. Beltway, we'll make sure that the growers who feed America have a say in the issues that are important to them with key leaders who are shaping the future of ag. In this week's episode, world record holding, three-time Olympic gold medalist Jackie Joyner-Kersey joins us to talk about her efforts to teach urban farming to kids in East St. Louis. She shares the lessons they've learned, tells some tales from her time as the world's top female athlete, and stakes out some common ground between urban and rural America in a time when that's sorely needed. If you haven't yet, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. That way you can take us with you in your truck, your tractor, or on your next trip and never miss an update from John. Also, make sure you follow the NCGA on Twitter at National Corn and sign up for the National Corn Growers Association email newsletter at ncga.com. And with that, it's time to once again introduce John. John Doggett, the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. John, not only does this episode bring a whole lot of star power to the table, but it touches on one of these big picture, timely issues that we face as a nation right now. Certainly does, Dusty. And, and, you know, in recent years, there's been a lot of attention paid to the so-called urban-rural divide. It's been something that we've discussed in in our organization, in our industry, the the nation's discussed it, and, and particularly in the last few months. But is there really this divide and where are the places where we can bridge that divide where it exists. So today we're going to talk with someone who has taken her incredible achievements as an athlete and used them to give back to her community in East St. Louis, Illinois. She's a three-time Olympic gold medalist in the heptathlon and the long jump. She was named as one of the all-time greatest athletes by Sports Illustrated, and that's Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And today, the Jackie Joyner-Kersey Center promotes food and nutrition security by teaching urban farming to children. Jackie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It is truly an honor to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to talk with you today. So, you know, we have a a lot to discuss, but recent months and recent weeks have been a painful time for our country and particularly for the African-American community. And what I want to ask you first and foremost is, how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. And I think it's been really strange times for the nation, you know, as well as my community of East St. Louis dealing with COVID-19, but then also just dealing with the whole situation with George Floyd. And, you know, and but I think also bringing people together to really talk about some of the things that we have in common and and coming together and you know people are protesting all over the nation i know there's despair and there's anger but when we all shed all of that we must come together and start 
looking at the things that we have in common? And then what are some of the changes that we can make? So you see a young generation out there protesting and 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 and, and rightfully so, but I, I think it's also good that eventually we all come together and share our differences, agree to disagree, but in the end to agree so our nation can be a better nation as well as our communities. Amen. We're we're all Americans. And we need to uh, to get back to that sense of unity that at times in this country has been hard to achieve. But let's start at the beginning. And and what I'd like to hear from you, and I know others would, is what was your experience like growing up? You know, when I have mentioned to folks that you were going to be on the podcast, it was amazing how many people from various parts of the country and in various places in society, everybody knew about your athletic career. But what was it like growing up in, in East St. Louis, and, and what's it like for kids growing up in East St. Louis today? Yeah, growing up in East St. Louis, my hometown had very young parents. My mother and father had my brother when they were 16 and 14, and then I'm the oldest girl, second eldest to my brother. But we had a lot of love in our home, and my mom would always tell us that you can't focus on the materialistic things strive to work hard in life, try to achieve your goals. But then being in the community, you were surrounded by people who really would encourage you to be the best that you could be. And even though uh, within the community, you know, there was violence, there was drugs, but we still uh, set goals and trying to achieve the goals that we had set for ourselves. But a community that's underserved and a community that a lot of people associate with, with, with bad. But for me, there's a lot of great people in there that's really trying to make a difference. And, and that stuck with me from the time I was introduced to running at the age of nine and to understanding what it meant to volunteer, giving back and helping others. Ms. Joyner-Kersey, what got you interested in becoming a professional athlete? What was that spark that really drove you to go out and achieve? You know, the spark that got me involved in athletics was I came through a community center and they were building this uh, center as we were growing up and and we didn't really know what it was going to be. We thought it was going to be a skating rink. It was just really something amazing that was being uh, built in our community. And then once we realized it was a community center, it was like, oh, the best place to go because not only did that community center have the recreation portion of it, it also had a library where I worked with a librarian at that time, learned how to check out books, you know. I know everybody Google everything now, but uh, I had to learn how to do book reports. Also, uh, the senior citizens that were over there became a part of my extended family and that had the different Meals on Wheels program. And then me, my sisters, my next door neighbors, we made up the cheering squad for the Midget League football team. And then I got involved in track and field. And that's when my sisters and next door neighbors let me do that on my own because they were like, it was too much running. And what I loved about running was that it was fun. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, in my first competition, I finished last. And, but I just said, if I could improve a tenth of a second, if I'm running half of an inch, if I'm jumping, that meant the work that I'm doing was paying off. And, and that's how I set my goals. And I started with the passion of it, and then when by the time I was 14, I saw the 76 Olympic Games on television, and I said, oh, I want to go to the Olympics, and that maybe one day, you know, I could be on television. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> and you certainly did that, didn't you? I've actually, I've got the uh, list of achievements right here, John, if I can, because I think that this <laughs> bears repeating. 1984, silver in the heptathlon. 1988, gold in the heptathlon, gold in the long jump. Set a world record in both of those events. One of those world records still stands today. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, by the way, Ms. Joyner Kersey. 1992, gold in the heptathlon, bronze in the long jump. And then in 1996, playing through an injury, a tweaked hammy still landed a bronze in the long jump. So just an unrivaled set of accomplishments certainly led to Sports Illustrated naming you one of the top athletes of all time. But also, John, I, I don't know about you, but I think this is the first time I've ever had a conversation with someone who appeared on a U.S. postage stamp. Oh. I didn't know that. <laughs> that is kind of cool. You know, it, I, I think it was a special edition they did um, during the Olympics. It was some kind of event they were doing, and it's amazing how you have a dream of just wanting to do one thing and then how it transcends and becomes something that you didn't even envision. And so for me, uh, the pleasure of running, the passion for running, but then also the connection, uh, being able to work with people who saw the potential in me that I did not know I, I had at the time. But then also taught me a lot about giving back. Isn't it great when you have people in your life that, that look at you and, and see things that you can do that you didn't know that you could do and, and, and what a difference that makes? You know, I, I'm, I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful. And, and it's very important for me to understand uh, what it means to be a role model, you know, uh, because I realized I am a messenger. And so and throughout uh, my work and what I do is, always about teaching others what I've been taught and for myself always being a great listener and so being able to share and encourage other and and hopefully motivate them to be the best that they could be well that, that and that's such a great message and, and we want to get to what you're doing in your home community in, in a second but I have a particular question I have to ask because I had to look it up the heptathlon I kind of knew what it was, but what is the heptathlon? You know, uh, the heptathlon is the makeup of seven different events, and it's contested over two days. And the first day, you do four events. Uh, the first event is the 100-meter hurdles. That's where you see people jumping over, we call barriers. They're jumping over barriers, and you're trying to run as fast as possible while staying on your feet uh, because the times in the heptathlon equal up to so many points. And that's how you garner the points. And then the next event is the high jump, where you would go and you either jump off your left leg or jump off your right leg and you go over a bar. And I always tell young kids, you land into this soft mat. And that event is the longest of the seven events. And it's the one that you can accumulate the most points. The next event would be the shot put. And it's a four kilo steel ball that we put, you know, and it's approximately right around uh, nine pounds. So that event takes a lot of technical work, body positioning work, and utilizing your legs. And then the last event on the first day is the 200 meters. So if you ever go out to the track, one lap around is 400 meters. Half of that is 200 meters and you run at top speed. And usually after the first four events, I will ice down my physical therapist. You know, I get a good meal. 
try to get a good night rest. And then I come back the next day with the long jump. And the long jump of all the seven is my favorite one. And that's where I run down, hit the board. You know, it's about an eight inch board that you, you're trying to negotiate, you know, size 10. Make sure you don't go over, climb in the air, hold myself in there for at least try to say a second, you know, and land into what I call the sandbox, you know, but it's a sand pit. And then they measure your distance. Then the next event is the javelin. A lot of people look at it as a spear, but it's a very light implement. And again, that's where the, the technical and the mental controlling your lower body to allow yourself to be able to throw it as far as possible. And then the last event, the grueling event in the women's heptathlon is the 800 meters, two laps. My best time in that was 208. So they accumulate all the, the times, all the points. And this is how you determine who is gold, silver, or bronze. And sometimes, it, you know, in the heptathlon, a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, you might, I might run the hurdles fast, might not high jump well. Well, if I don't do that, then I can find myself at a, at a disadvantage. If you win all seven events, which never been done, I thought I could do that, but no. Uh, yes, clearly you could be the winner, but it takes strategy, it takes negotiation, it takes mental and physical preparation and training to make sure that you're on that roller coaster. One event doesn't go well, then you're not uh, upset. You have to get yourself together because the heptathlon is seven events, not one. But we only get one medal for it. Yeah, you have to have so many different abilities to do all of those well enough that you can succeed. That is just a, just amazing. But Jackie, you know, you and I met a few years ago at a, a Farm Foundation event in, in Virginia, and you were talking about some amazing work you were doing with your foundation. So can you talk about the work you're doing for kids through your foundation and, and where it is and, and who you're working with and trying to help? Yes. So the Jackie John and Carrie C. Uh, Center, I started my foundation work back in 1988. And it was really uh, after my uh, gold medal performances in Seoul, Korea. And I had come back home and wanted to inspire young people because most we always heard nothing good come from our community. And, you know, I had won the gold medals, but in the closing ceremonies, I had wrote on... Uh, like a whiteboard and paper and just let everyone know in East St. Louis that I was thinking of them and I love them. And so when I had traveled back from uh, Seoul, Korea, taking uh, 110 kids along with uh, chaperones to the Macy Day Parade, because I was a part of that parade, wanted our uh, young people to be able to see other communities that look just like ours, you know, and how you can have a dream and you can travel wherever. But some way, somehow find a way to come back home. So through my work at that time, I was just working with my church and through the schools and through the different organizations that I had been involved with as a youngster growing up. And it wasn't until 1996 that I was approached about still that I wanted to build a center. And we broke ground in 96 on the JJK Center. We opened in 2000. And at that time, we're doing, we do after-school programs. We use sports as a hook to get them in the door, but it is really about exposure. And then right around, I think, 2008, we hit a rough patch, and we shut for like six months, but regrouped, uh, redid the board, and, and realized that 
we couldn't rely on just government funding. You know, we went from 90% of grant funding and only 4% at individual giving. And today we changed that where it's 96% on individual giving and looking at how do we subsidize through some of the grant funding programs. So for me, probably right around, I think it was 2012, me and my team wanted to address, you know, food desert. And what did that really mean? You know, uh, when you grow up in a community, not really having a grocery store, you only know what you know. But then also, how could we explore the idea of growing certain uh, vegetables in the inner city? At this time, we had uh, leased some land and planted, uh, you know, corn, field corn, radish, soybean, and just to see what would grow in our inner city. And and really having the buy-in from the community, it, it you know, it was a little rough at times, but then when we were explaining that most people see corn, they see the soybean, yes, all that's good, but we see opportunity. And how can we get uh, our young people to see opportunities in this field. And so that's what we were doing then. And the work that we were doing at the JJK Center involved, you know, wellness, nutrition. Uh, I come from that, didn't realize how the two came together, you know, outside of my athletic world. But I also understood that I had to know what I was putting in my body. And so as we transition and over at the JJK Center, we have a, a, a partnership with the park district where we're running a greenhouse. And now our kids are planting seeds, learning where food comes from, you know, that it just don't come out the can or it's just not in a bag, you know, that dirt is okay, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but also working on other partnership with U of I and really trying to maybe have community gardens for the community, but just long-term ranges that allow us to not only have our young people be able to learn where food comes from, plant it, then take it into the next level of entrepreneurship. So there is a lot of things that when I talk about that exposure, that's part of that exposure. And that's what we're doing on the ag side of it. But we also, when COVID-19, we would do uh, transportation. We pick our students up from school. They come to the center. They get their enrichment. We feed them because we learned over the years that when they were coming to the center, they were very rowdy. And you're trying to get them to do homework. And that just wasn't working because a lot of them, you get out of school at 2.30, 3.30, and that, that your last meal was at 11 o'clock. Just learning you know, more about our families and the students that we're working with. And hopefully, uh, we can continue to help them get on a path of through STEM that they would uh, find the excitement of it. There are, there are so many levels and so many avenues and that we just a small portion of that. Well, as the son, husband, and, and father of teachers, I, I know well that a hungry kid can't learn. And uh, that's what's so neat about well, what you've done is tie in activity, putting seeds in the ground to nutrition and, and feeding folks. You know, as as a kid growing up on a cattle and sheep ranch and, and seeing kids that have been raised on, on farms and ranches, you learn so much through those experiences. So at your center, what does the work around 
urban farming, what does that teach the kids in, in your programs? You know, the, the work around urban farming, first of all, I, I, I want to say that the discipline and the hard work that goes into a, a farmer doing, doing their work and, and bringing their family along and, and the connection. And so for us, you know, uh, we, we talk about the discipline, we talk about the work ethic, but more importantly, to be able to take them from the greenhouse, but then having an opportunity to go visit a farm so they can really put it all together makes a big difference because you can read about it, but being able to experience different things from what they learned in when they were planting seeds or maybe they might go to a county fair, but then being able to see it all, you know, to me, encourage them in a way that they might not thought, might not thought about agriculture. You know, uh, myself being an ambassador with 4-H and, and, and the work that 4-H does and some of the work that I would do with them through my Winning in Life program that my, my, my goal and hopes is not only teaching them about hard work, but then also a career path of understanding that, you know, I might not have been thinking this, but, you know, and then having a relationship with uh, U of I. So our, our goal is to do what we can within uh, the community of East St. Louis, but then uh, long term to be able to grow, to have an endowment, to have a research center, to have a, a commercial kitchen that they could take what they grow, come back and make salads and cook and just see, wow that this opened their minds and, and, and their world up to something that they didn't even know was possible because all you see around you is confectionaries or the discount stores and not dismissing them at all, but what it's like to really go into a grocery store and be able to uh, buy eggs or milk at a fair market value because that grocery store is in your community or you have decided through the work that you're doing, through your urban gardens and all the things that we're doing that on the weekends, young people are having their own, their market where people are coming and getting, then they seeing themselves being entrepreneurs and being able to help feed a family and to understand and to appreciate, you know, where food comes from. That is, that is so great. And, and, and I want you to know that if, if there's anything our organization can do to be a part of that, uh, we, we would like to do that. You mentioned earlier that most of your revenue comes from individual donations. And I, I would imagine if I asked you, you might be able to tell us how, how we could make a, a donation online uh, to the JJK Center. Oh, yes. You can go to our website, jjkfoundation.org. And not only make a donation, but see what we're doing. And, and once we get out of this COVID-19, I'd love for you to come and visit. And, and even if you want to visit, you know, we can set it up and I'll be there. I, I tell you what, I can guarantee you that we will be having a visit with you. I hope soon. Uh, who knows how long it's going to be, but I know, uh, I, know uh, I can get a group of farmers to come and visit and, uh, and then I'm, I'm sure many of them would like to, to have uh, your folks come and visit their farms. Jackie, you know, the, the current pandemic has highlighted some other challenges we, we also share across communities. Rural health facilities, you know, were in bad shape long before this, and, and uh, it's certainly been the case in some urban areas. How is the JJK uh, Center helping your community deal with the pandemic? 
You know, uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, one of the things that we're doing today is still delivering hot meals to our families. It's about over 200 families, but then also uh, partnering with the National Guard for testing. And it's free. It's very important uh, because it was impacting all of us, but their indication where, you know, they're impacting uh, African-Americans significantly. And, and then continuing to have our workers uh, work, but then also social distancing. We're getting ready to start our, our, our summer camp from the standpoint of bringing in our, our students and making sure that they're six feet apart and that we have a one to four ratio in our different classrooms because we, we sit on 36 acres and our building itself is over 60,000 square feet with head start in the back. And so just really trying to make sure that we could do our part uh, not only uh, being able to provide a safe environment, but also continue to make sure that that education gap isn't spreading because we have a reading specialist on hand. We try to make sure that all our young people can read at grade level, you know, and we have our math and science teacher, but then they all are doing this under, uh, I have a curriculum based off my autobiography called A Kind of Grace called Winning in Life. And there's 14 different principles and all these principles uh, came out of how I evolved and, and grew up and being able to have it evidence-based. And, and our goal has always been to scale it, but we're slowly doing that because we see this as being a revenue source for the organization. And so these are the things that we're doing and, and throughout all our programs, winning in life is a part of it you know and, and people get stuck on the winning but no it's the winning with the right attitude the right behavior and character and leadership how crucial those things are oh thank you great great words and a, and a great message jackie are you know kids across the country have, have had to learn from home over the last few months and broadband access uh, has been a, a real problem in in rural america what is that access like for, for kids in urban areas right now? You know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, broadband is not available to everyone. And I was very fortunate throughout the year to work with uh, Comcast on bridging that digital divide and how our young people and in rural areas and in inner cities, if they're not, uh, they do not have access, then they are already behind because even in today's time, a lot of the kids had to have access to the internet to even be able to finish their homework. And some of the schools were providing Wi-Fi and providing that for them, but it's been tough. So that's one of the access that we have at the JJK Center is that we have our computer lab, but we have to be real careful because it's not set up for where we are today, the social distancing. So where we have, I think, 20 some computers in there, but we might have to pull some out and put them somewhere else so you can practice that social distancing. But I do think that the need in rural as well as inner city uh, having access is very important because if they do not have access, they're already behind. 
Amen. And that is is one of the things that we've certainly learned in our organization is, as we've tried to have meetings, the disparity across the board of, of who has good internet access and, and who does not. And, and it makes such a difference, uh, your ability to participate in, in whether it's a Zoom meeting or, or getting your lesson plan done. And I know my daughter is a teacher and teaching virtually and, and with two little girls who are learning virtually. And in that broadband access is so important for things to work well. And, and without that, kids that were behind before are, are going to get even more more behind. We, we need to find ways to make the investment in infrastructure in this country. And, and a lot of times in our community, we, we think infrastructures, bridges, roads, locks and dams. But infrastructure for all of us is also includes that that broadband access and a, ability to communicate on so many levels. And the pandemic has just pointed out the need for it and, and again, the disparity. Even when you think of the infrastructure and you talk about the broadband, and most of the time, if you go in the rural area or in, in, in some cases in there in the city, you know, just having sidewalks, you know, we think about health and wellness and paths to just walk where young people can feel safe, just different things that impact communities that a lot of people don't even think about. You live in poverty and you stay in that 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 frame of mind and, and so many other things that are so important, but just some of the uh, the basic needs that you don't even think about continue to hold a community or an area down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that uh, uh, you've mentioned that uh, the STEM program at your center is is so important, and we are working at the, the National Corn Growers Association on, on a STEM project. How are you helping those kids with the STEM program? You know, uh, one of the great things about, you know, we always talk about, you say STEM, you know, and then the, the, the basics for us, it starts with the reading, you know, and, and making sure that they can read and they can understand getting involved with the lego projects or some our kids got involved with building uh they wanted a trophy case so the construction side of it which was great that they're able to put all these pieces together and they even like when we talk about like when i talk to them about winning in life getting them to understand the math and science that goes into me being a heptathlete even when we just talk about working on the six feet distancing all this is a part of it, as well as our ag side of it and the arts. So we think that this summer should be very, very uh, fun for them. But then is, we're allowing them to connect and to see, and hopefully uh, they evolve and, and have fun with it. Because everyone else do the robotics, which is great. You know, one of our goals, too, is that our, we just got a JJK team with eSports. You know, trying to get our young people who love to write music, who love to do things that now they might be able to work on getting a certificate part of as they learn in coding, all these things that we've been able to collaborate with different organizations to help us to bring this, you know, to our students. So one last thing, you know, the, the COVID yeah. pandemic has kind of moved the, the 2020 Olympics to, to next year, the year after, whenever. But I promised my daughter and, and a couple other people I'd ask you about the Olympics. So what is your favorite Olympic memory or, or favorite Olympic memories? You know, uh, competing in four different Olympics, I, I would say that, yes, winning, of course, always sticks out. But my first Olympic Games, 84, and 
I was picked to win the gold medal. And my brother wasn't even picked to make the team, let alone, you know, win. <laughs> and so in 1984, we both made the Olympic team. And my brother went on and won the gold medal in the triple jump. And then, you know, I struggled because I wasn't mentally tough. I was dealing with an injury, didn't know how to handle it. You know, uh, it's one thing to dream about going there, but I was ready mentally. I just wasn't ready. And so 84 sticks out because I left those Olympic games saying that if God blessed me to make another Olympic team, I want to be the toughest athlete out there mentally. And so that to me prepared me to go on and win the double gold the next four years. And but each one has taught me so much. In my last Olympic Games in 96, being able to everyone that we all made the team together, how fortunate it was for us to be able to compete in two different Olympic Games on American soil. That doesn't happen, you know, and, and you know, and I didn't realize the position that we were in to be able to finish my last Olympics game as my first one began in Los Angeles on American soil. The last one in Atlanta on American soil, winning a, a bronze medal when I wasn't able to finish the heptathlon. And I worked hard to try to see if I could pull off a win in the uh, long jump. And that attitude got me a bronze medal. And that means the world to me to know that as I say to young people every day, never give up on yourself. Even when others count you out, you can turn a doubter into a believer as long as you believe. And that's what I said to myself. And winning that bronze medal was some special. You know, it's it's a remarkable career, and it sounds like you have a remarkable family as well, Ms. Joyner-Kersey. Your brother is an Olympian. As I understand it, he's married to an Olympian. You're married to an Olympic coach. And I picture what getting together at Christmas must be with so much athletic talent in your family. Do you guys ever, to this day, you're sitting around, you've just finished up Christmas dinner and look at each other and be like, 100-yard dash out in the street right now, let's see who's got it? <laughs> you know what? That's how we used to do when I was younger. My brother would always challenge me to a foot race because he didn't believe in practicing. And so <laughs> this one day, he was showing off in front of his friends you know, like, oh, she go to practice every day. And so we set up a, a, a foot race from the stop sign to the mailbox. And I outran him, you know, and, <laughs> and I looked back at him. I told him, see, this is what practice would do for you. He got the last laugh. He won the first gold medal in the family in the 84 games. And so, yes, we are very, very fortunate. My, my brother was married to uh, the late Flo Joe, you know, and my husband. Bob Kersey coached all of us as well as many more uh, Olympic uh, champions. And, and still today, you know, with the Olympics being delayed, they were training, you know, in Los Angeles. And uh, Allison Felix is an athlete, uh, someone I mentor. My husband is coaching her, you know, and just hopefully uh, they find a vaccine or we find uh, something that these athletes that have trained for so many years. And I don't want to trivialize pandemic that we're dealing with. I mean, health and, and, and wellness is first and foremost. But I do know that so many athletes have trained because the Olympics are every four years. And, and we know you have to be ready on those given days for your Olympic trials. And, and then when the when Olympic Games approach, but I'm, I'm just uh, staying, you know, uh, hopeful 
and that allow you know, the doctors and the scientists to do their do what they need to do. So we as a, a nation, as well as the world, can come back and do the things that we love doing, conjugating and being able to shake hands and, and wish people well. You know, when, when I hear you you say that, Jackie, it, it we have so much more in common than than we think we do at at, at first blush. And you have such a, a great story and, and a great commitment to your community. And you know, whether you you grow up in, in an urban area or a rural area, you know, that sense of community, uh, that sense of, of toughing things out, of, of moving forward despite adversity, it works well for, for all of us. And that's something that we, we all have in, in common. And so we just really appreciate all of the work that, that you've put in to your career, uh, your athletic career and in your career and in helping your community and in helping our community better understand the, the challenges and the and the opportunities that that you have and so thank you so much for for being on the podcast um, this has just been wonderful and and uh, we can't thank you enough and and look forward to visiting the JJK Center soon well John I just want to thank you and I want to remind you and uh, and also to your listeners is that hopefully this is my first time but it won't be my last time I love to come back and be on your podcast. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, you know, as, as I was getting ready for the podcast this morning, I thought of my dad and he always subscribed to uh, Forbes magazine. And one of the quotes that Malcolm Forbes, the publisher of the magazine had on the masthead of every copy of the uh, Forbes magazine was with all thy getting, get understanding. So we thank our guest today, Jackie Joyner Kersey, for helping us better understand uh, a key component of our society and our uh, this great nation. So that's all we have for this episode of Wherever John May Roam. I'm John Doggett. I'm the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. And we'll talk to you again real soon on the next episode of the NCGA podcast. Once again, if you're interested in learning more about the Jackie Joyner Kersey Foundation or in supporting their mission, you can visit jjkfoundation.org. That is going to wrap up this edition of Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. New episodes arrive monthly, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app and join us again soon. Visit ncga.com to learn more or sign up for the association's email newsletter. Wherever John May Roam is brought to you by the National Corn Growers Association and produced by PodCamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For the National Corn Growers Association, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.